rejoice evermore. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. Lord, ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray you control what I say and how I say. Lord, I pray for your mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that for your honor and your glory, that your word would feed your people and help them and strengthen them. So, Lord, please bless and may you be glorified in this service. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction and that drawing and that perhaps even this evening they've repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Please use this to feed your sheep, Lord. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Just two words in our text, and that is it. Probably here next week, it's just going to be three words for our text, and that's it. I was going to preach these, and I began studying it in a little bit of a group, but it just wasn't working that way. There's seven commands that are given right here as we're coming to the conclusion of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so at first I was going to try and group them together, but there was just too much information as I was diving into this. I'm like, I'm going to have to separate these. And so tonight we're going to be looking at just verse number 16, rejoice evermore. And these commands he's giving as we go through these, though, I would have liked to, I might even take time at the very end, once I cover these, is to, is to do another sermon and just put them all together. Because these commands that are given, they really can change your Christian life. The, the imperatives that are given, they're, they're incredible. They can change how you view life, how you structure it. They can affect so many different areas of your life with what we're looking at right here with these commands. And we certainly read them as we go through our Bibles all the time. But we need understanding. We need to know how, how in the world do we follow these. Because many of these things, they look as if these commands are almost impossible to follow. Rejoice evermore. Uh, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. I don't know if there's a series of tougher commands given in the Bible than what we're looking at right now. And so there's a challenge that goes with this. And I think in understanding verse 16, you have to consider the context of what is taking place in the church of Thessalonica when the Holy Spirit has Paul pinning these letters in. Keep in mind what we're dealing with. This is Thessalonica. This is the largest city in Macedonia. This is the capital Crime-ridden, pagan worship, wickedness and vileness is everywhere. It was a key city. Very cosmopolitan, of course, with the Greek language dominating. Paul's starting this church on a second missionary journey. Remember, he went into Philippi. Once he leaves Philippi, he heads into Thessalonica. He knew this place was going to be key. And as this church is getting started, just about a riot breaks out. With the Jews stirring up strife once they heard the preaching of Paul and the, the jealousy, the envy kicking up. And, and so they, 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 they stir up a crowd to attack Paul and he is literally ran out of town. Remember, Paul heads over to Berea. We cover that. He drops down to Athens. Athens, he is so concerned about Thessalonica. He, say, he, he sends uh, uh, um, Timothy to go check on him. He drops down to Corinth. The report comes back while he's sitting in Corinth uh, of how well the church is doing. He was concerned because he knew this church was under tremendous persecution. And he knew it was key. I mean, this is a key place to get the gospel throughout all of Europe. So this is a church that's under tremendous persecution. It's not easy being a convert in that city. And yet Paul commands here. It's an imperative that's given. Rejoice evermore. They're not, they're not sitting in a town that's governed by a Christian. They're not sitting in a town that has a government structured by biblical principles. They're in a place right now where many of the men who have converted have lost their jobs because they converted. 
Many of them had to choose to quit their job because now all of a sudden, out of conviction and principle, they could no longer work where they were working. And Paul is commanding him, this is the first of the series, rejoice evermore. Paul expected them to rejoice in spite of circumstances, in spite of difficulties. But that leads us to a question. How is that possible? We're going to look at that today. I'm going to look at three different, if you will, perspectives I want us to see in this text. I want us to see the difference between the world's version of joy... And God's version of it. I believe it's in that distinction you begin to understand how you can rejoice evermore. Two words. Two words that can be of great encouragement and help in your life. Two words you, 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 you probably think that you can't follow, but you certainly can. This is not the only place this is commanded in Scripture, is it? You can think of the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, you have the command once again to rejoice. Really, it's, it's throughout. Over and over, the command is given to rejoice. And the truth is, we greatly need the joy of the Lord in our life. It is the joy of the Lord that takes even the burden out of service. You can think of Nehemiah and all that was going on in his day with the rebuilding of the wall. Nehemiah chapter 8.10 talking about, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's what helps you to continue to keep on going. When in spite of circumstances, in spite of difficulties, in spite of challenges, you can have a strong, powerful joy in your life. We certainly need this joy for many reasons, and you're going to see those today. Joy is contagious. If you're, if, I remember the first time I ever met Brother Doug Duffett back in the 90s. If I was to ask anybody here that knew him, give me one attribute that describes that man. I believe 99% would say joy. And it's contagious. So is sadness. Being around somebody who's always the gloomy Gus is like watching an autopsy. There's just no fun in that whatsoever. I took that from another preacher. I read that. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> or a commentary, I should say. The fact is, a Christian should have joy. The truth of the Christ and our relationship with Him and the Gospel should have the effect of removing misery. Before we got saved, we were commanded to repent. Now, after salvation, we are commanded to rejoice. And really, again, as you can tell, even in English, rejoice evermore. But the structure of the words as it was was pinned in gives the idea of rejoicing at all times. It's also interesting the word that is used because in the first century, going into the second century, it became the common greeting for Christians to use, uh, to say to each other they met each other. They just didn't say, hey, how are you? They would come in and say, rejoice, rejoice. That was the greeting. Yet think how difficult it was in the first and second century to be a Christian. The incredible amount of persecution that they were enduring. Yet that was the common greeting. This is given as a command. So, that leads us to another question. Think about this. 
is it a sin for a Christian not to have joy? It's a command, is it not? It's here you begin to see your responsibility towards joy in the Lord. Some might say, but wait, we have verses like Romans 12, 15, which says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with them that do weep. Does that negate that? It certainly does not. That, that verse is not at all at dealing with a, 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 a joy that a Christian should have from the Lord. In Romans 12, it's dealing with our need as Christians to show empathy, to show compassion for others, to share with them in what they are going through. Let me show you the power of the joy of the Lord. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at the first few words of verse number 10. As sorrowful, let's read the last, the next uh, four words together. Yet always rejoicing. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You see, sometimes we think that these things are mutually exclusive. Sorrow and rejoicing. It makes sense. And there certainly is arenas in which that's very true, especially when you're dealing simply from the world's perspective of joy, sorrow, sadness, etc. They are mutually exclusive. You can't have them combined. But as we see here, the Bible's not dealing with that, is it? There, there, there's, there's a manner in which it's very real and very practical in which they are not mutually exclusive. Where even though you're going through sorrowful times, there's a sound joy in your life. One pastor said this, I'm going to quote him directly, or commentator in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. He said it better than I could, so I think I'll quote him. He said, even when he was speaking to Paul, even when he was sorrowing, sorrowing with the sorrow of others, sorrowing over the failure of believers in churches, sorrowing over the disaffection of those he loved, sorrowing over the pain of persecution, sorrowing more often uh, than not over the maltreatment that the gospel preachers received, sorrowing over the dishonor that was literally placed upon Christ, and yet all of those kinds of emotional experiences never touched his joy. For he says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Incredible. Again, to understand this, I think we need to look at it from how I put it in three different perspectives of what we see in those simple two words. I want to look when we are to rejoice, how to rejoice, and the what of rejoicing. So first off, when to rejoice. Now, if you think about it, when it's given as a command... This isn't rocket science. Just use a little bit of deductive reasoning with this. If it's given as a command to rejoice, then it's clearly talking about when things are difficult. I mean, when everything's going great, is it not easy to rejoice? There's no need for a command. It's dealing with, and we can see that even in Scripture in context, whenever it's talked about, it's usually when there's challenges taking place. I mean, you think when the Lord 
Jesus Christ dealt with it in the Gospels in, the, in, in John chapter 13 through 17. Remember what's going on in John 13 through 17. We're now at the last week of Christ's life. This is that upper room discourse between Him and His disciples before He is arrested, crucified, beaten, before He is taken from them. And throughout those chapters, He speaks of joy. Why? He knew they are going to need to hear this right now. He knew He's departing them. Like He says in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. He was trying to lay the foundation down that even though I'm departing, even though there's hardness that is coming, you can rejoice and actually have true, sound joy. When Christ was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, when He got into the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, 10 through 12, we won't turn there for time's sake here this evening, but Christ was dealing with those who were under persecution, all manner of evil being spoken against you. And what does He tell them to do? Rejoice. Rejoice. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. Think of the book of Philippians. About 102 verses. Joy, rejoicing, or some form of that word is brought up 16 times. You've heard me say it many times. It's an amazing epistle. It was written when Paul is in prison, in a nasty Roman prison. A human being chained to him. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Reputation was being attacked. Preachers even talking against him under persecution. Doesn't know if he's going to be executed. And he writes a book about joy. There's something to this. James chapter 1 and verse 2. I have an entire sermon just on that verse. To consider it all joy when you fall into those diverse temptations. When trials hit your life. It's in the times of greatest adversity in life that we are called and commanded to rejoice. But that brings us to number two. It's easy to preach that, isn't it? But how? How do you rejoice evermore? How can we have joy in the midst of sorrow? Well, we, there's some things we learned from the text that I've already referred to in Scripture. We didn't turn to all of them, but I brought up actually several texts dealing with joy and rejoicing. Here's the one common denominator. In all of those texts that I have given you, joy is not dependent upon positive circumstances. It's not. This is where a paradigm shift in thinking is necessary if you're going to be successful in this. Because in our minds... Positive circumstances is essential to joy. You see, the joy that the Bible is talking about is much different than the world's joy. The world's joy follows the desires of a person's heart. If you get what you want, you are happy. If you see something you want, you have the funds to buy it, you buy it, you're going to experience happiness. You set expectations for something, and those expectations are met, you find happiness. Whether it's in relationships, things, goals. This is how the world experiences joy. 
However, now don't miss this. This is key to having that adjustment in your thinking. The world's joy is delusional. It's actually sad. It is. It's actually sad. Let me try and put it in perspective for you. Know what book does it very well? We're not going to turn there. The book of Ecclesiastes. It puts the world's view of joy and shows it that it is actually delusional and sad. You think about the world's joy. It's temporary. It's fleeting. And it's done. Jacob McDonald. I bet you you got that truck you were happy, weren't you? I bet you got mom and dad all the time. I want this truck. Can we get this truck? Am I right? Were you happy the day you got it? Do you drive it with a smile on your face? How about the second time you took out that transmission a few weeks later? Were you still happy? You were not happy, were you? The joy was gone. It was, wasn't it? You're going to find that true with everything in life, by the way. I mean, you probably thought it was joyful when you got to work with Tim Thomas. He's not here, though. He's probably watching live. He said he'd be watching live stream, so we'll find out if he texts me during this, if he's watching live stream or eating popcorn somewhere right now. Um, but you probably found out within three hours, it's no fun working with Tim Thomas. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, don't miss this. You have to understand that how the world presents joy to us and happiness, there's actually nothing but a sadness to it because it's so temporary. The world has no answer. Nothing permanent. Nothing lasting. Nothing to answer for death. Nothing to answer for circumstances that can change in a heartbeat just like that. It has no answer for it. Nothing at all. You think about the rich man and his barns. His joy was gone. Think about the, the rich man and Lazarus and that rich man died. Oh, he had joy there as he walked into his house and was proud of all that he had. But know what he realized the moment he, he was in hell? It was delusional. What he should have been was sorrowful while he was on the earth unto repentance. What the world offers is only temporary. It's not satisfying. The truth is, the eye is never satisfied. Your lust will never be satisfied. This is why people run through things and relationships and on and on and on. It's just, there's no satisfaction. They have the temporary high uh, 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 of that joy that hits, but it's just a matter of time. They need something else. That's because the world's joy is based upon a wrong principle and selfish ambition and selfish satisfaction. What the world gives cannot last. You have joy over your new job, but soon you see the problems with it. Again, the world's joy can never actually take away the, or deal with or handle the genuine problems of man. It is fleeting. So now compare that to the joy of the Lord. It's a huge difference. It's in the difference that you can see how you can rejoice evermore. We're talking about a joy that is literally completely impossible for a non-believer. It's a joy that comes from God. The joy that we have is based on something that is permanent 
never changing. It is based on God Himself. And the Lord God changeth not. There is nothing that can affect my relationship with God. Now, if you could lose or our relationship with God was only temporary, then we could not have the joy of the Lord. It, it would match the world's version of joy. But our joy is to be in something that cannot change. The transmission with my walk with God, the Lord maintains it. Now, I might, I, I might have to make sure I'm using it right. But the Lord maintains it. It's, his truths are unchanging. His love is unchanging. My salvation is unchanging. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. If you could lose what God has done for you, oh yes, you could not experience the joy of the Lord. You see, so what we, when our circumstances in life begin to fall apart and the hardships and difficulty of life fall apart, uh, what we can run to for our joy so we can get sorrowful yet always rejoicing in a genuine, in that relationship, in the character and what we have with God. And I'm going to try and make this more practical so it doesn't sound spiritual. As we break it down into Scripture, we know joy comes from the Lord. Alright? It does. In Psalm chapter 4 and verse 7, it says He puts it in our heart. Okay? Jesus Christ did, uh, addressed it as well in that discourse with, in the upper room. You, go, you head into John chapter 15, where the Lord dealt with this, how He brings us joy through His Word. Then we see in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 that the Holy Ghost is involved in this. So, how do we put all this together? I, I think the Bible does it very well. We know joy comes from God. Christ is the mediator for it, and the Holy Spirit gives the power to it. So, because of my conversion, I have the joy of the Lord. It is present. It is given by God. I have His Word. Christ stressed. Okay, you're gonna He told His disciples this. These words that I've spoken to you, how they were key for the joy. So there's knowledge I have to have from this book. There's things I have to know about God and about Him that's going to be the basis for me activating that joy. And then who puts the power behind it, we see, is the Holy Spirit. Does that not match Galatians? What the fruit of the Spirit is love? Joy. It's His fruit to produce so, the ability for me to be able to rejoice evermore is directly tied to my ability to walk in the Spirit. And again, that's not some mystical thing. It's not. It's that dying daily, leaning on the Holy Spirit to be filled with Him, trusting in Him. It's fruit He produces in your life. A soundness He gives, even though there's sorrow present. Even though the circumstances are tough. This joy is a result of who God is and what we have in Him. 
Listen, think about it. Eternity literally is settled if you're converted. It is settled. Just think about that for a minute. Your eternity is settled. Your sin has been dealt with. It's been paid for in full. The greatest weight you had that you could do nothing with is gone. It's gone. But in everyday struggles and tough times, we need to be able to access this joy. When I get into the last one, I'm going to cover some of the reasons why it's so important and we miss it. The devil will do whatever he can to steal that joy because there's power in it. Now listen to me. It is your understanding of the character of who God is that provides the strength or the anchor, if you will, of your joy. It is. I want to quote a commentator on this. He said this. Think about this here. This is more dealing with God's character. All right. God is too wise to ever make a mistake. Is that true? Oh, it is. So think about that. You're getting knowledge to help anchor your joy. God is too loving to be unkind to his children. God is too gracious not to overlook my sin. God is too merciful to allow me to be devastated. God is my protector. God is more powerful than Satan. God is more powerful than demons. God overrules all circumstances. And I belong to that God. He is my God. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? We can list as Roman 8 goes, goes through it. We can have joy in God because of His character, because of His sovereignty mixed with His providence. When we know that God is in control, so many of you have heard me say over and over, as they fret over everything, I said, listen, rest in the fact that God is in control. Nothing is taking Him by surprise. I do not want to be dragged down in that, that mud pit as we look around. Listen, what I know is what I have in God. I am a pilgrim in this world. That's what I am. And I'm not changing that. And as I go through life and all the different... Think about this. Think about... You, you can think about, a, a, think about a mother who has three kids to go pick up from different places, has dinner still to cook, has 40,000 different things going on. Life is just hectic as anything. Sometimes I wish God would just perform a miracle. Make it easy. Here, God, I, this is what I need today. Do something miraculous. But actually, He is. Do you know that God knows every detail of your life? And think of His sovereign hand and His providence always working. Incredible. Brother Dave Nelson. It wasn't an accident you met Him. It wasn't. Everything that was going on in your life, it wasn't an accident. Think of the miracle of that from before time began of God orchestrating everything. Or to finding us on, on the website. 
and saying, wait, we hear you on the radio. It's amazing, God's sovereign hand. I mean, think of what he does in your life in everyday events. Rest in him. Do you understand what we have? This is the source of our rejoicing. We have an unchanging God who is good, who is in control. Paul said it over, when you get into 2 Corinthians, he listed all the trials he goes through, but he gave the key to his rejoicing. I'm not looking at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. We get so caught up in the things which are seen. Steals our joy. We forget what we have in God. You will never rejoice evermore. If I have to depend upon what this world offers me to have a measure of joy, that somehow I want this world to follow Christian principles, I will be miserable every day of my life. I follow a kingdom. The God of the universe. The King of kings. And He will never change. Never. There will be no woke movement in heaven. Do you know that I can rejoice in that? I am a pilgrim here. Now, lastly, this, this point won't take that long. The what of joy. There's two aspects I want, I'm going to cover here quickly, but very important. Even though I'm going to try and cover them quickly, you need to listen to this. I need to cover the benefits of the joy of the Lord in your life, and what you better be careful of. All right? Benefits. Think about this one. It is one of the greatest things to prevent temptation in your life. There's several things that can prevent temptation in our life. This is a big one. The joy of the Lord. Protects you from a lot. It brings with it a measure of contentment. It brings with it a measure of peace that will prevent any root of bitterness from springing up. It will guard against covetousness in your life. You're not, when this world is falling apart, you're not seeking somewhere else for that joy all of a sudden. Your joy is of the Lord. The Lord God who changeth not. It guards you against temptation. Secondly, another benefit. Your joy encourages other Christians. It does. We know as we, as we assemble together, and we get together and, 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 and the joy of the Lord is present, it encourages those. It reminds those whose, whose circumstances are just crumbling in their life what they have in God. You know what they know? One day this will all be over. It's okay. It's okay. Let me focus on the unseen and not the seen right now. And they can leave with a smile on their face. Thirdly, this is huge. I think we miss this right now in the day we're living in. The joy of the Lord attracts sinners to convert. It does. We live in a world right now in the United States of America that is full of chaos. I mean, think of, literally this world has been turned upside down right now. It's, it's mind-boggling. 
birthing person. What gender are you? You have one of 17 to pick now. Do you understand? This is reality for how many people in our country right now? What's our, what's our population? 375 million? 400 million? Something like that. I mean, people are actually believing this. They see what's going on economically in our nation, politically in our nation. The crime is everywhere. Violence is everywhere. Do you know what they need to see? Somebody with the joy of the Lord. Not fakeness running around. Not, not some silly ridiculousness. But a soundness. A genuine joy that's based on faith and trust in the Almighty God. Not because you listen to some nice song on the way in. Do you understand? There's a difference here. We're not doing something just simply based on an emotional state. Those lost around you need to see somebody who is sound yet, that is strong. That's why Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord was his strength. Now, what to be careful of? What can steal this? I could have put it all under one, but I broke it down a little bit. For the most part, anything that's going to take your mind off God is where the danger lies. All right? Anything that takes your mind off of God is where the danger lies because then you're more susceptible to looking for the world's type of joy to satisfy an expectation that you have now set up in your mind. So, let me deal with that. Number one, false expectations will steal your joy. Our expectations need to be based on the Lord. He's in control. He is. Come midterm elections... My joy is not going to be determined on the outcome of those elections. Do you understand that? I might be sorrowful at the end result, but it's not going to steal my joy. The Lord God changeth not, and He's in control, and I have to trust in that. Number two. This one's important. This one happens all the time to Christians. Here's a good one that gets your mind off God. Forgetfulness. You say, what do you mean? This we need to turn to. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Look at verse number 2. This right here. Don't miss it. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Look what it says. And forget not all His benefits. The devil will do whatever he can to get you to forget through circumstances in life all of God's benefits. And by the way, list them here. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Our sin is dealt with. My eternity is settled. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies thy mouth with good things. So that the youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. And he goes on and on. 
Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He had not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as they removed our transgressions from us. On and on. Forget not all the Lord's benefits. All that He does for you. And then lastly, and I'll finish with this. This will also steal the joy and take your focus off of God. That is self-absorption. Just worried about you. Just worried about you. Your joy will be gone. That'll kill it. Because remember, it's connected to, we have it through things. We have God's promises. It comes from Him. The Lord was very clear in John 15. His words. By getting the first John, the same thing. The key of the Word of God, dealing with joy. And then we see the Holy Ghost roll in it. You put it. So, conversion is necessary. Knowledge of God's Word and the Holy Spirit is the one who produces that in you. Are you following me? Okay. So, when you get self-absorbed, I assure you, you're not walking in the Spirit. That's not happening. That's not happening. This can take... This can take different forms. I'm just going to cover one more common area, but it can take different forms. A, a lot of different forms, as you can just tell by the nature of the word. But let's deal with one that can hit us all the easiest, which I think is the devil's easiest gate in. The Lord even dealt with this in a parable. When you start worrying about all the little things in your life, when you start concentrating on all those little things in your life, slowly your mind's getting pulled off of God. And onto those circumstances, even if they're not major. To be honest, sometimes when something major hits, we're pretty good at going to the Lord. There's been times that it amazed that people have thrived at how their faith has come out during that time. But then we live on an everyday basis in a base where we don't have that joy. Because it's in those little things in life that constantly pull your mind away. That's all a result of one to consume with self. But those little things always just coming and you dwelling on them constantly. All these things in life that you think, they're, they're not the way that I want them. And it begins to pull your mind off God. You've got to avoid that. What do I do? You make your life about the Lord. That's more than just one commitment at a service after a sermon. What is the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15.31? I die daily. It's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. This is how you can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. This is how you can rejoice evermore. The command is given during a church going through incredibly difficult times. And Paul said, the very first command he gives, rejoice evermore. How is that possible? Because of the God that we serve changes not. Don't forget His benefits. Put your expectations upon God. Trust in Him. And boys, you're walking in that spirit. You'll have that soundness and that joy where you're not controlled by the circumstances in life or this world to provide you joy. With heads bowed and eyes closed.